Welcome to this episode of the New Space India podcast, a show to keep you informed and engaged on India's space activities. The study of stars, galaxies and the universe has always been of interest to humankind. In this episode of the New Space India podcast, Dr. Abhijit Porkar, a researcher at the Astronomy Institute of Czech Academy of Sciences in Prague, joins me to discuss what astrophysics is all about and how to build a career in astrophysics in India. Welcome to this episode Abhijit thanks for taking time for doing this thank you so much for having me tell us a bit about what is exactly astrophysics and you know what do astrophysicists do so astrophysics is essentially a study of the heavens and people have been doing that for thousands of years we have studied stars and planets going around the earth and then we turned that to a heliocentric model of planets going around the sun and then the greater universe that people are studying so in astrophysics there are three different areas that people study one is you know, the observational astronomy where people are looking at stars and galaxies and planets and trying to understand how the universe works and there are people who are building the telescopes for doing that so there are people doing instrumentation where they build satellites such as hubble telescope or isro's astrosat or the upcoming nasa mission james webb space telescope as well as ground based telescope for example india has several optical and radio instruments like gmrt and also similar instruments but also you have instrumentation building and satellite building for planetary missions so for example india's chandrayaan and mangalyaan missions and similar missions of international communities so that is the instrumentation side and the third part is the theoretical side where people are studying theoretically with pen and paper or with computers how the universe works and how the universe is structured largely so people there will study how the gravity works in the universe as well as what are the models of universe and how the universe behaves and expands or how galaxies ex- are formed or how galaxies evolve and stuff like that okay so when you take this three different branches of what you talked about how is it being organized in india at the moment and who are the people in behind each of these streams so in india and essentially everywhere in the world many of these institutes are working intertwined with each other but there are of course some differences most of the theoretical and observational astronomy work is done at educational institutes and research institutes such as iuka and ncra in pune or iisc and iia in bangalore while they also often perform instrumentation tasks so people in the groups there will be building instruments for the telescopes or for the satellites and so on but most of the sort of space science work where building and launching satellites and providing infrastructure for that is provided by isro and similar institutions in india okay so from what i get it uh, to put it very simply there's one bunch of people who are doing theoretical stuff which is looking at the universe and theorizing many things and many phenomena and trying to understand what is going on out there and they are using the legacy of scientists before them who have done certain work and then they're building on top of that and they don't need any kind of instruments any kind of data which is observational or you know space satellites themselves but they are kind of you know building on the physics of the things before partly yes but you also always want to check your theories against the observations yeah so you're always checking your results of your theoretical work or your simulations in computers yeah. and you're comparing them with what is observed in the world so that's what differentiate physics from mathematics in the sense that you want to see whether your theories are correct and are applied to the, our universe or not okay so that's one bunch of people yes. the second bunch of people are actually either building telescopes on the ground or 
building telescopes that will fly on the satellites and then they are actually doing the instrumentation bit so they are acting partly as kind of engineers and scientists at the same time yes that's usually what happens is that you have input from the scientists who want to observe something or who want to study some phenomena in the sky and they interact with engineers as well as they themselves act as engineers to build telescope that will eventually observe these phenomena okay so then these people have the kind of skills where you understand a bit of engineering and at the same time a bit of astrophysics exactly the yeah. and then the third set of people you talked about were people who do only observation based uh, science where be people essentially are using these telescopes to then operate these telescopes which are either on the ground or in the sky in space and then they collect data from there and then they are trying to do some kind of data analytics and data based sciences to basically come out with observing certain phenomena that is happening yes so that's what most of the observational astronomers will do is they will either apply for new observations to the telescopes either space based telescope or ground based and then they will get the data from the telescope and use that for doing their scientific analysis or they might use some archival data available already at the telescopes and in astronomy most of the data provided by the telescope is proprietary only for one or two year period and after that it becomes public so even if you don't have association with a telescope or organization you can still use those data and use them for your analysis okay so let's say i am a person who is uh, now interested in astrophysics uh, as a kid growing up in india for example right is there enough knowledge on the ground uh, for people to choose these uh, you know when they're high in high school or or in college or somewhere where they understand that there are three these three different streams that are available and how is this organized i'm not sure if the knowledge is available towards high school students because yeah. at the high school level we are not exposed too much to astronomy in general anyway our high school textbooks rarely mention astronomy or space science and there is a dearth of information about you know, what are options for you in this field so that is quite lacking but also people are not aware of different career opportunities in space sector as well as in astronomy and that is also not provided to students too much you know you personally for example right you have gone through this journey of doing everything and you've completed a phd and you're doing you're a practicing scientist in the field so in your personal journey how was it you know when did you actually know that you know these are the streams in astrophysics these are the things that you wanted to do or not wanted to do and how did you acquire this knowledge so my interest in astronomy and scientific research grew out of reading a lot of science fiction when i was in my high school and at that point i decided that i wanted to do astronomy and then i read a lot of books i talked to a few people and being in pune was advantageous because we have a couple of really good astronomy institutes where i could go and talk to the researchers there and they advised me what are the possible paths available and once you get into undergraduate studies then you can decide what exactly you want to do and what streams you can take and what different paths uh, that are available for you and for me i decided to go towards a bachelor's in pure science so i had my bsc in physics from ferguson college in pune and then eventually i did my masters in physics also and you know, with where i was doing projects and master's thesis on astronomy and that eventually led to my phd in observational astronomy so you really began uh, like you know just before you started uh, getting into your undergraduate course you then collected a, lo- a lot of information just even before that then yeah i talked with several people several professors as well as people in and around uh, astronomy 
to gain information about what are the possibilities, what are job opportunities and stuff like that. Okay, so when you talk about this kind of, uh, you know, capacity building in terms of knowledge sharing as to what are the opportunities and, you know, what are the streams, where do you see, you know, things can improve in India? I think uh, the public outreach of astronomy and uh, pure science jobs in general needs to improve and that there is very little engagement towards high school students or undergraduates about what are the opportunities available even if you have not taken pure science route that there are opportunities available for you to do astronomy or similar research areas and that the engagement from the research institutes towards these high school students and undergraduate students outside of the big metro cities is essential that it's not only focused towards big cities and big metros like Mumbai, Bangalore, Pune, things like that, while you are also targeting students in rural areas as well as tier two, tier three cities. Tell us a bit about, you know, how is this being done in Europe or other countries where you have talent from, you know, not even just the big cities, but also other areas coming in? Because I know that, you know, many of the developed world countries have chosen to take a path of having dedicated uh, science outreach people who are actually scientists who have done their PhDs and have the, have been in the field and have contributed to the field, but then they have kind of switched their careers to more do more of the outreach effort for science and becoming full-time science communicators and then helping to develop the community itself uh, and the outreach for the community is being done by them. So this is a model that's been used in the Western world today a lot. You know, what is a model that is possible in India? How, how could this evolve? I think part of the limitation in India is that in, when you compare to Western countries, India has very few astronomy research institutes and they are mainly located in big cities and there are only a handful of them. While if you look at countries in Europe, for example, each small city itself has an astronomy institute and most universities will offer you astronomy courses at undergraduate or master's level, while in India only a handful of universities will ever offer you any astronomy courses at undergraduate or master's level. So even if you are interested as a student to get into astronomy in India, there are very little opportunity available for you because you either have to be in Pune, Mumbai, Bangalore, Delhi or attending universities there and only then you are able to get into astronomy. While in Europe, even if you are in a tier two or tier three city, the, it's most likely that the university there will offer you an astronomy course and there will be actual working astronomers who are doing research so you can go and work and do projects with them, whether it's a two month summer project or it's a long term master's or bachelor level project and so on. So I think that is one of the things that is lacking in India. And in terms of science outreach, there are institutes who are doing a lot of outreach. So my experience is mostly with uh, institutes in Pune where Ayuka and NCRA are doing extensive and excellent outreach towards students in Pune but around Pune in rural areas and also in Maharashtra and India in general. But again one institute cannot simply do for the entirety of 1.3 billion people. You need to have a massive increase in the number of people who are working in this field as well as surrounding areas of science outreach and similar topics where people are able to reach vast populations in India. When you take the community of these three communities again, right, so the observers, the instrument makers and the theoretical people, give us a sense about how big are these three communities in India against, you know, the US, China or other geographies and uh, where do you see more momentum in India in which of these streams and what is you know uh, lacking in each of these streams in that sense? So 
in terms of the people working in these fields you will have in each research institute in india and also abroad about 10 to 15 professors working on a on these areas maybe sometimes more sometimes less depending on the size of the institute and then with each professor you will have few permanent staff working with them and postdocs and phd students and master students working with them so in all an institute will cover about 50 to 100 uh, working staff who is directly working as a research uh, work or instrumentation building and similar assisted work you know, for that so that's on average per institute and then when you look at in total in india there are very few institutes so i would think about 10 to 12 institutes which work directly in astronomy or space research and so in india there are much less number of scientists working in this uh, field compared to when you look at overall number of people working in North America or in Europe, for example, or even in smaller countries like Australia. And is there a sense of uh, the numbers there? So do you have any sense of numbers with these countries? Because, you know, when when you tell this, it sounds like the Indian space uh, science, the core research community is about, you know, 1,200, 1,500 people in the entire country when you put, put that number together. So when you look at that number against, let's say, you know, a China or a US, how does that stand? Yeah, so in the US, you will find that in most states, there are at least few universities who are work, doing work in astronomy and each institute will have few professors and uh, several students working with them. So the numbers per institute are similar, yeah. but the number of institutes working in these fields is much higher. So in the US, you'll have approximately few thousands of people working in astronomy or related areas and of course in other countries there is much more overlap as well as distribution of people where people who are working in astronomy might also be not sitting in astronomy institute but they might be sitting in a physics institute or a mathematics department of the university so they may not be officially counted as astronomers but their work is being done in astronomy okay so do you also have a sense of um, you know the budgets that are allocated to astrophysics uh, in india versus other countries well, I don't have the exact numbers for each of these, but in general, India spends a lot less on scientific research as ratio of GDP compared to most of the Western countries. And in Western countries, the numbers are around 2 to 3% of the GDP is spent on scientific research, while in India, it's much less than that. So if I am a high school student and I enter these three tracks today, let's say I want to do an undergrad which is related to astrophysics, uh, what are the possible avenues? So you can do either a pure science undergraduate, so doing a bachelor's, so BSc in physics or mathematics or related topic, and then do a master's and then PhD. So that's one way to go. The other option is that you can do an engineering in related field, so either electronics or mechanical or something similar, and then go into instrumentation and building instruments for telescopes and similar. Or you can do computer science and work with theoretical physicists and theoretical astronomers and help them developing different new techniques, uh, building software for astronomy or working with machine learning and similar topics that are being used extensively in astronomy. So even if you have no experience in astronomy, you can still shift to that after doing a bachelor's in engineering in computer science or similar topics. Okay, so let's say then you finish your bachelor's and so on and you want to continue. Uh, you want to do a master program. I know that in India, for example, a lot of people drop off uh, at that level where they tend to do other things or they have maybe social commitments to do their look after their family or so. So 
when you look at uh, entering the, the master's track the ratio did goes down uh, yes of course not everybody who gets a bachelor's degree in a physics or astronomy related topic will go for masters there are different reasons for that but in general the number of people who will go for masters will drop by about 50% and can they continue in the same institutes or then that also tapers off it depends so many people in india at least do their bachelors in colleges which are affiliated with the university while the, most of them may not offer masters level courses so they will have to go towards universities where you have dedicated departments which are teaching masters level courses so you will have to go either to the state universities and study there for your masters or go to central institutes like iits or similar so again with the masters done of course as a astrophysicist you are only then going to graduate in a sense that you to contribute to research you then take up a a doctoral program and you are doing fully blown uh, full blown research uh with that uh, do you have a sense of how many phd's uh, are being offered in india every year i don't have exact numbers again but in general each institute takes in about 10 students per year and similar students graduate every year yeah so it seems like you know we produce about anywhere give or take 150 200 astrophysics phd's every year in that sense i would say less okay. maybe of the order of 50 to 100 in the entire country yeah. wow that is like uh, considering that that probably will be something like what a single state in the us would probably be producing exactly or even when you look at uh, institutes in germany for example a max planck institute has a uh, 65 phd students at a time and every year about 15 to 20 will graduate and there are three or four max planck institutes working purely in astrophysics in germany and then there are about 20 to 30 different universities which are also working in astronomy each giving out similar number of students a phd so let's say you know i have managed to get into one of these uh, universities in india and graduated what are the possible op- options to continue so currently astronomy is not the most lucrative uh, field for doing your full time research in a sense that right now astronomy is going through a job crisis So 90% of the people who will get a PhD in astronomy in the world will never f- get a permanent position in astronomy. So only 10% of the people who have their PhDs will get a permanent position as a prof- professor or similar level at academic institutes. So 90% of the people will go and do something else. So that something else might be you can work as a science communicator or work as different space agencies similar to ISRO or uh, DLR in Germany or ESA. or nasa or something like that or you can move away from that and work in it sector or uh, data science or some, something similar some people i know have gone into science advocacy and working with the government being science advisor so there are multiple career options the opportunities for you are very many and the unemployment rate is very low but the if you have the dream that okay you want to be a professor in astronomy who is doing next 20 to 30 years of their career in astronomy then the chances are very low but uh, getting a phd is not simply about doing astronomy but a phd is teaching you certain techniques tools and getting to know about how things work and then you can apply those tools in different careers and different jobs and so you don't need to be restricted to the academic track essentially you can use the same equations and do the same analysis working for a company rather than working on solving some astronomical problems and i know several people who have done that where they were applying the similar equations instead of using them for astronomy or physics but applying to the finance market 
Yeah, exactly. I think this is also a very famous uh, movie or uh, documentary that I've seen where a bunch of uh, you know private equity firms uh, started hiring astrophysicists uh, to crunch their numbers and you know use the data analytics uh, techniques that they have used in their research to apply them uh, to financial markets. Oh, exactly. And essentially, many Western consultancy firms will hire you on a priority basis if you have a PhD in physics, astronomy, or mathematics. Wow. Okay. So in India, ISRO is building all of these uh, satellites that are going up, like AstroSat or other space telescopes that are being planned. How is the space community in astrophysics uh, involved in ISRO with ISRO in building some of these instruments or uh, you know using the data? Yeah, so many institutes in India will help in building the specific instruments or specific detectors for these satellites, as well as building the entire structure along with ISRO and they will help in that. And then once the satellite is up and running, then the data coming from the satellite will be used by Indian astronomers and scientists for analyzing the data and doing the scientific research. Is this the same uh, mechanism of working around the world or is there different styles in working in, uh, in different countries? Uh, it's more or less the same mechanism in most of the countries where the scientists will work directly with the space agencies for developing you know, telescopes for example scientists in us will often work with nasa for building their space instruments and space telescopes and then they will get to use the telescopes themselves let's talk about the data that uh, is coming out of these satellites you know how how is this be data being shared because you said that the data is actually being used by indian astronomers uh, in many of the cases let's say in hubble or uh, many of the european uh, space telescopes they have a mechanism of also sharing it uh, for people around the world you know is is the instrument time uh, being shared in certain way or the data is being shared in certain way uh, because of course you can also point the instrument to a certain part of the sky and image whatever you want or take collect data from there and there's that time where you can actually use the instrument uh, up and then of course you can also use the data which is then dumped by some observer who used the telescope so there are two parts to it right yes so how is it being done so essentially all over the world whoever has put the money to building the telescope gets to use it for most of the part so for example the telescope that i work for which is the alma telescope which is in chile it's built by north america european union and east asia together with chile so they get 95 percent or 99 percent of the time to use the telescope and only in rare cases anybody outside of these regions will be able to use that and it's similar to many of the indian instruments also that the priority will be given to indian scientists to use the telescope and in some cases people outside can use that of course that is not the only way that you can do one way is that you can collaborate with scientists from that country and then you can use the data that is obtained by those scientists and do your scientific research but in astronomy also most of the data that is generated by these telescopes and instruments is proprietary for only short period as in the scientists are allowed to use that data themselves for about one to two years and then all the data becomes public so once the data becomes public then anybody all over the world can use that in whichever way they want so that uh, proprietary nature of one or two years of having collected uh, data 
that is a national science policy or is that an international phenomena no it's a specific instrument policy so each instrument or each telescope organization decides for themselves how much proprietary time they want to give to their users so essentially scientific observations are done in a way that if you are a scientist working you have an idea you write a proposal for that so there is no money involved in most of the government telescopes there are of course private telescopes where you have to pay a certain amount of money to use the telescope but most instruments these days are built by governments and so instead of ha somebody having to pay a certain amount of money what you do is number of scientists will apply for their ideas and they will submit a proposal to the telescope and then their proposals will be judged on their scientific merit and if your proposal gets accepted then it will be observed and then because you came up with the idea you get priority for that and that's your proprietary period that okay you have the idea and so we give you the data and you can work on it for one or two years and you get a head start but after that proprietary period, anybody else can use that data. Okay, and is, this is the same for also space telescopes? Yes. Let's say, you know, today AstroSat uh, is up and running. Uh, are there any specific policies just at national level, which let's say the country decides? I'm not aware of any of those. Essentially, okay. in most cases, either the organization or uh, the telescope itself will decide how the data is used. Of course, many of these telescopes are built by the government organization, so they are essentially national level or government rules. So let's talk about actually what uh, gets to be done with this data or what science is uh, done with this data. The value of the data itself is also attached to then the quality of the science instruments that are up on a space telescope or even the ground telescope. So give us a sense of you know how what is the quality if that's the right word of uh, the the space telescopes which are on the ground in india versus some some other telescopes around the world also the space telescopes so india currently has optical telescopes which are of the size two to four meters which are considered to be medium-sized telescopes in the world the current largest telescopes are built by north north america so mostly usa and in the European case, it's built by the European Southern Observatory. So the largest telescopes currently available are the Keck telescope in Hawaii and the very large telescope built by uh, European Southern Observatory in Chile. So these are the 10 meter class telescopes. So the diameter of the optical telescope is 10 meters. So these are the largest ground-based telescopes, but both of these countries are building the next generation telescopes, which are the 30 meter class telescopes. So there is a planned 30 meter telescope in Hawaii, which is being built by USA mainly, but India is a partner in that. So India has invested money in that telescope. So India will have a priority for observations there. While European Southern Observatory is building extremely large telescope, which will be a 39 meter telescope in uh, Chile. And then there are, of course, the satellite telescopes. So everybody knows Hubble, which is compared to the Earth-based telescope. It's a smaller class telescope. It has diameter of only a few meters. So I think 2.5 meters, while the next generation telescope, which will hopefully fly in a couple of years, is the James Webb Space Telescope, which is built by NASA. And that is a five meter telescope, which will fly to the Lagrange point L2. And once the data is kind of collected in all of this, uh, what is the quality of the output? How is it measured? How is the, the output being measured in, across different astronomy groups around the world? So the quality of the data is essentially measured across how many papers it generates. So essentially how the research output of the telescope is generate, uh, calculated by how many papers it has generated, how many of them have been excellent discoveries or uh, sort of new physics has been found or something like that. So that sort of new discoveries and how many papers have been generated is 
one of the main ASP criteria from which the telescope output is measured but also in terms of how groundbreaking the results have been as well as how useful the telescope has been for overall understanding of astrophysics for the community. Can you give us a sense of uh, what are some of the you know contributions that Indian scientists have made in, in, in the recent past and all of this? One of the prominent uh, contribution has been with the gravitational wave discovery where India has been a partner in the LIGO collaboration and Indians have contributed significantly in the uh, data analysis and data reduction of the observations that are being done by LIGO. And so that is one of the main topics. India has also been involved in several next generation large scale telescopes. So India is partner in the 30 meter telescope that I mentioned, but also in the square kilometer array, which is a radio telescope, which is being built in Australia and South Africa, which will come up in about 2025. And these sort of large scale telescopes are being built internationally because these are so big telescopes that not a single country can handle the expenses that these telescopes cost several billion dollars now. So the expenses for these telescopes are shared dif between different countries and different countries will contribute various things. So for example, Indian institutes along with companies like Persistent are providing software support for the SKA telescope. Why are some of these not, let's say, built in India itself? Are there some reasons for them? Well, for building astronomical telescope, you need good atmospheric conditions. So for example, a lot of telescopes built by European Southern Observatory are built in Chile because in Chile, you have the Patagonian mountain ranges, which is 5,000 meters in height, where you can get above most of the atmosphere and you don't have to worry about atmospheric scintillation or water vapor or similar things too much. And also it's one of the driest places on Earth. Similarly, the square kilometer array is built in sort of arid desert areas with no human settlements around nearby so that you're avoiding most of the radio interference from that. While India, there are places where you can build a lot of facilities, but they are not competitive always with international facilities. For example, in the Himalayas, it's quite difficult to build uh, instrumentation, although we have a couple of facilities there. It's not always easy to build instrumentation in the Himalayas because of the remote nature, as well as not having good supply of electricity and other facilities which are necessary for running these kinds of observatories. And because of the population density of India, having radio-free zones are quite difficult to find in India. Yeah, that makes sense. I know that there is possibly a facility in Leh which is operated through a satellite link, right? Yes, but also in Ladakh, we have a couple of telescopes in Hanle, which are operated by the Aryabhatta Research Institute. So these are two and four meter class telescopes. Space science missions, uh, especially using satellites, have become extremely popular in India over the last 10 years or so when ISRO started in a very big way by launching the first mission to the moon and then the first mission to Mars. And so now the second missions are being planned with Chandrayaan 2, you know, almost ready to land on, on the moon's surface. And also next, the missions being planned for Venus and places like that. What has been the general uh, quality of output of these uh, missions? You know, are how could they be you know treated so far in terms of value to the science? Well, so far the space missions that ISRO has put forward have been mostly technology demonstration missions rather than scientific missions. So, Chandrayaan and Mangalyaan both were technology demonstration missions with no guarantee of science coming out of them. So, there have been few discoveries out of those. 
So for example, uh, some of the instruments on board Chandrayaan discovered water on moon as well as there was a discovery of methane in Mars atmosphere from the Mangalyaan. But both of these missions were technology demonstration mission with no goal for science. So there has not been much science coming out of them. But hopefully the next mission that is hopefully landing soon in on the moon from Chandrayaan 2 that has main focus on science. So we are hoping that that will lead to good scientific results. So in that sense, India has kind of gone through this uh, maturity of, uh, you know, establishing the technology needed to do interplanetary science and then use the first missions to demonstrate that piece of technology. And now they're trying to do the, the more mature science related aspects. Exactly. Let's talk about, you know, Mangalyan, for example, mm -hmm. where it was uh, such a big hype in the uh, you know public because uh, there were so many analogies of mangalyan being cheaper than uh, you know gravity or uh, it, you know cheaper than uh, an auto rickshaw ride and all these popular uh, things that were going on in the in the social media as well as uh, in general public and of course uh, when you look at the science output of mangalyan itself what is uh, what is the science output so far specific to let's say mangalyan there have been few papers coming out of it, but when you compare with American instruments that have flown to the Mars, the science output has been negligible. As I said, the Mangalyan was essentially a technology demonstration mission that proved that, okay, India can send a spacecraft to Mars and we, we are ready to interplanetary missions. But that has been the main goal and the only goal, essentially. And whatever science comes out of it would be a bonus. So it has been a very small part of that. So the roadblock there is uh, that once we've demonstrated this technology, the kind of the size of the satellite also depends on the kind of instruments that you can host, right? Because basically, if you can host larger instruments, you need a larger satellite, you need a larger rocket, you need a larger budget, everything becomes large. Exactly. Uh, and therefore, is that the main bottleneck? Yes. Primarily, that is one of the main issues that when you compare with the American spacecraft that flew at the same time as the Mangalyan, Maven, that had a payload of 65 kilograms compared to 15 kilograms of Mangalyan. So with extra 50 kilograms of payload, you can have very sensitive instruments which can last longer as well as you have opportunity to send the spacecraft directly with the American rockets compared to ISRO, which had to do multiple gravitational kick maneuvers and get into the position to fly to Mars. So by having larger capacity for sending instruments to Mars. So for example, India does not have capacity yet to send a rover to Mars, what Americans have done already several times. So if you want to do something like that, you will need a bigger and bigger rocket to be able to do that. And that is one of the main blockages for India. When you look at the future of even space trans transportation, so all of it in space is so at the moment is then very interrelated. So because India then has to invest more into building bigger rockets, building uh, better quality or to build better quality of satellites. And when it comes to instruments themselves, because I know that, okay, ISRO has proven that it, they are capable of building bigger rockets over time, uh, having seen the maturity in rockets. And let's say they are going to produce this massive rocket that is needed for bigger instruments. And they're also able to produce the satellite bus that is that can be hosted in this, uh, in this rocket. Is there enough uh, capacity in the country to build state-of-the-art instruments that will do state-of-the-art uh, research or are there bottlenecks there because we don't have certain bases of electronics or certain technologies in the country? I'm not sure there is a bottleneck 
there might be shortages in the short term but in the long term india will have to develop all these capabilities itself and have to develop the industries surrounding the rocket launching industry as well as satellite manufacturing industry and developing both intellectual temperament to develop the instrumentation as well as building capacity for developing both instrumentation as well as the scientific out output out of that so india will have to need to build that eventually on a sort of gradual pace but that need not be the only way india can move forward that many countries are enthusiastic about collaborating with india on putting their instruments on indian payloads and uh, putting working in collaboration with isro and similar so just last year i was at a workshop on 10 years of czech republic in european space agency and there there was discussion on the india's venus mission and people were asking what are the possibilities of european community collaborating with india on this venus mission so there is enthusiasm from various communities all over the world for collaborating with india so that may be a way for india to get forward quickly without having to worry about simply trying to develop everything indigenously astrophysics uh, may have been a dream of you know young people when they were growing up but you know many of them may not have picked it up for their careers and they would have transitioned to doing other things but then the love for space science would have been remaining with them is there a way for them to then get back as a hobby to do some astrophysics stuff yes there are several different avenues that people can take so right now one of the things that we are suffering from in astronomy is we have huge amount of data with not enough people to analyze it in a sense that a lot of the analysis work is manual labor essentially you have to look at different pictures coming out of the telescopes and categorize them which is scientifically important but that may not be the best use of a professor's or a researcher's time so uh, there are several different groups which have come up with ideas about crowdsourcing this where citizen scientists who are interested in doing some science for themselves can go and volunteer their time and look into different pictures and analyze them or look into different satellite image data and categorize them into different categories so there is one interesting project called zooniverse where there are hundreds of thousands of pictures of different galaxies that have been put forward and you can go and analyze different galaxies into different categories and then study them as you want and then that is very helpful for scientists to understand the categorization of these galaxies similar thing has been also done with planet hunting and planet planetary science where people who are working in exoplanet hunting or exoplanet discoveries are asking people to go through the light curves of coming from these telescope data from for example from kepler or the next generation test telescope where citizen scientists can go and look at the data and try to analyze it to see whether they have discovered a planet or not and so one of the famous stars that was that is called the tabby star which is which became very famous because it showed very weird dips in its light and that led to several different sensational headlines in newspapers asking whether it's because of some weird planetary formation around it or comets or asteroids around that planet or whether it's aliens of course it's never aliens but it became very sensational and that was discovered also along with the help of citizen scientists so even if you are not a career astronomer you can get involved in many of these projects where you can help scientists in improving the data analysis pro process and then of course there are many other ways you can also get involved in your local communities in many cities there are many astronomy amateur groups where people are doing regular observations of the sky looking at stars and planets and galaxies in their backyard or with smaller telescopes so you can get involved in that 
I know there are several groups which go for monthly or regular meteor shower observations to the countryside and just organize also seminars or talks for general public so you can get involved in those things also. Yeah, and also I think uh, as is with a lot of new fields like machine learning or AI and things like that, you see that possibly even astronomy is one big area of application there because you're sitting on top of tons of data, right? Oh yeah, definitely. That has been something that we have been trying to do recently is developing machine learning techniques to analyze certain data sets, but it's quite difficult and it will take some time to mature. So if you are interested in that, you can also get involved. If you have expertise in machine learning and data analysis that way, you can get involved in astronomical projects. But even many observatories and institutes will require engineering help in developing new softwares. So a lot of software analysis software that we have is developed in Python or C, C++. So if you have experience in software development, you can get involved in astronomical software development. So there are many avenues for you to get involved in astronomy in an outside way. And as I mentioned earlier that, for example, the persistent company is involved in developing the backend software for the SKA telescope. So even if you are working at a company like this, you may be working directly helping building an instrument. Okay, yeah. And when you look at uh, the future of uh, possibly astrophysics and instrumentation in India, I know that, for example, the early bits of astrophysics uh, and, you know, studies in astronomy in the US were actually mainly funded by philanthropic means, where uh, many of the observatories in the US, which were in the 1800s or so, which were, uh, they were actually built by donations by uh, several artists or celebrities or industrialists. Do you think in India, if in case you know the government is not really up for increasing the massive amount of funding needed in all of this, that's something is a potential avenue where people who are in the science community can actually convince some of the artists or uh, industrialists to actually investing in doing good space science. In the US, not only in the 18th and 19th century, but even current modern facilities are often funded by different agencies which are outside the government. For example, the Simmons Foundation or the Sloan Foundation also funds a lot of astronomical research and the Sloan Foundation funds the Sloan Digital Sky Survey, which is one of the most important surveys of galaxies in that has been undertaken for the last 15-20 years and that has been funded mainly through the Sloan Foundation. So there are several foundations in Europe and US which are providing support for astronomy and scientific research and in India that may be one way that people can get involved and of course we have the famous Tata Institutes and ISC which was started by the Tatas and similar so if there are billionaires who are interested in establishing institutes which have a long-lasting legacy that will be a way forward also to get around that the lack of funding from the government. Yeah, I really hope so, because I think um, to depend only on the government is a very long-term solution, I would say, unless and until there is radical change in investments into science. This may be one of the uh, methods that I think the community in India should try to evolve and develop over time. Abhijit, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.